Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Again, we're going through a series on remembering the church. Remembering the church. And uh, in a sense, hopefully also uh, remembering what it means to be members together. It's one of the reasons why we looked at the covenant of the church. And again, as we go through kind of a more a systematic approach maybe here versus uh, a biblical kind of like going from text to text, if I was preaching through Hebrews, for instance, we're just jumping into Hebrews chapter 10. But so it's a little different here in my goal overall. My goal is to look at the text, to be driven by scripture, but at the same time to bring in and help you to see how, how the the scripture impacts culture and how it should change the way we think about our lives and who we really are and, and how we interact with our culture as a result. Because we looked last week at the fact that we are called as believers. That is, we have been called out by God. He is calling out a people to his name. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. And yet we are this people that are his. We have a purpose because of that. And at the same time, we are a community. And Christ said to his disciples, they'll, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. But we have to confess as a church that oftentimes we are not known as Christ's disciples by our love, right? We don't do love very well sometimes. The church is rightly attacked sometimes for, for its failures in regards to this. And at the same time, those attacks just prove the fact that the church is needed because our solution is not to say that we are perfect people because God has called us, but that we are broken people who needs God's grace. That is why we are called. And so as we look at community together, I want to look first of all at the challenges to community to help you to see the, the challenges that are there, both just practically as well as um, as well as in our culture overall, and, and how then hopefully the gospel addresses those challenges and brings us into community and the good practice of community together. So let's look first of all at the challenges to community. Um, and to do that, I'm just going to bring in some voices to talk about this because the, one of the first challenges to community that I want to talk about is guilt and shame. There we go, guilt and shame. And because guilt, they're two different things, okay? But both of them are challenges to community. Guilt is that sense that I have done something wrong, okay? That I have failed in some way. I've not, uh, I've, I've, my conscience is convicting me that I have done some things that are, are bad, that are evil, that are hurtful to someone else, okay? And in some ways, guilt is, is uh, straightforward in a sense, in that sense of your conscience is pretty like, hey, you did the wrong thing here. Shame is, is, is much more like a shape-shifting shadow that never quite comes at you the same way twice, but is always and consistently sending you the message that you are inadequate, you are not able to measure up, you are... Um, you just aren't good enough for yourself, for others, for God. And if you try to shine the light on shame, it sometimes freezes into this picture of everything's fine, everything's good. Don't worry, I have it all together. But behind the shadow is still the shadow, behind the statue is still the shadow of Nope, I'm not really good enough. I'm not really there. And guilt is, is a part of our culture in various ways. Um, There's a quote from an environmentalist or someone who's talking about being an environmentalist. Again, he's not a believer as far as I know. He says, this readiness to assume the guilt for the threats to our environment is deceptively, deceptively reassuring. So he's talking about the fact that we have... Uh, as a culture, as a society, we have guilt over, over the fact that our environment isn't working very well, right? That we have problems in our environment. And, he's, and, and we can say that human beings are the, at fault because of that. Um, he's saying the readiness to assume that guilt is deceptively reassuring. 
He says, we like to be guilty since if we are guilty, it all depends on us, right? We pull the strings of the catastrophe so we can also save ourselves simply by changing our lives. What is really hard for us, at least in the West, is to accept that we are reduced to the role of passive observer who sits and watches what our fate will be. So what he's saying is, is we, we accept the fact because if we accept that we're guilty, then if we change what we do, we can somehow help change the environment, right? And he's going on to say, but is that really even possible that we can affect that? He goes on to say, to avoid this impotence about changing the environment, we engage in frantic, obsessive activities. We recycle old paper. We buy organic food. We install long-lasting light bulbs, whatever it is, just so we can be sure that we are doing something. We make our individual contribution, like the soccer fan who supports his team in front of a TV screen at home, shouting and jumping from a seat in the belief that this will somehow influence the game's outcome. You get what he's saying there? Is that if we accept guilt for something, then we do something about it. We atone for our guilt in various ways. And this is one of the reasons why our culture is so busy. It's so busy. Because if I have failed, then if I just work harder, I can atone for my guilt and my failure. I can make up for it. I can do more and more. I can get more productive and more, you know, I can be more because I was less at the time. This is not how the gospel solves guilt, but it is one way of trying to alleviate guilt. And it is a way that we hear over and over and over again, do more, be more productive, do the right things and not the wrong things this time, right? We hear that over and over and over again, regardless of the area. And when we feel guilty, we, it's very hard for us to be in community. Because when you're guilty, you have to stay busy atoning for your guilt. You can't just be in community together. You can't enjoy the relationships you have because you're too busy dealing with your own guilt. On the other hand, shame, if it's this shadow that always says that we're, you're not good enough, the problem is that shame hides. Shame is worse for community because shame hides. Sometimes it hides behind this exterior of everything's good. I'm great. Look at me. I'm all dressed up. I sewed up to church on time. I'm good. Sometimes it hides by just running away. I was laughing a little, right? I'm going to pick on Kieran and Elias over here. They were sitting here. I don't know if you noticed, but Elias was upset about something, so he went all the way to the end of the pew, you know, as far away as possible, right? right? And that's what we do when we're ashamed. We get as far away from those around us as we can. And if we can't get far away, we hide by putting up this exterior of, hey, I'm good. I can handle it. And in our society today, we are, frankly, we're moving from a guilt-based culture, where it was all about performance, to a shame-based culture, okay? We're moving. It's been gradual, but it's speeding up. Oliver Marcus Malloy puts it this way. Claiming to be offended is a great way to elevate yourself at the expense of others. Look at me. I'm a much better person than you, and I judge you. I condemn you. Shame, shame, shame. These social media shamings bear an uncanny resemblance to medieval witch hunts. This guy isn't even a believer, okay? What he's saying is one of the ways to get rid of shame is to shame everyone else. Another guy puts it this way. I favor humans over ideology, but right now the ideologues are winning and they're creating a stage for constant artificial high dramas where everyone is either a magnificent hero or a sickening villain. We can lead good ethical lives, but some bad phraseology in a tweet can overwhelm it all. 
even though we know that that's not how we should define our fellow humans. What's true about our fellow humans is that we are clever and stupid. We are gray areas. And so when you see an unfair or an ambiguous shaming unfold, speak up on half of the shamed person. A babble of opposing voices, that's democracy. The great thing about social media was that it gave a voice to voiceless people. Let's not turn it into a world where the smartest way to survive is to go back to being voiceless. That's John Ronson. Okay. And this is a, a white guy talking, right? But that's the point. Is, is like, we live in a world where you've got to be ashamed or you've, you've got to shame other people, right? Racism and the anti-racism movement is about shame. And again, a biblical model here is not to say that there is no shame, right? Racism is evil. It's bad. It exists in the world. But the solution is not to shame everyone else into being anti-racist. Why? Because shame is a shapeshifter. All it does is hide and come out as something else. That basic idea of I want to be superior to someone else, that basic desire that's there in all of us in various ways, doesn't go away when you just say, don't be racist. It just submerses itself, shifts over, and comes out as, I'm anti-racist, I'm better than everyone else. You see the problem? And if, if we're going to live in community, in joyful community together, the shame agenda means to say, let's just shame everyone into getting into the same community. And they don't understand that shaming someone into community is simply to destroy the people in that community over time. Because shame is a community destroyer, not a community builder. It's not that there isn't an appropriate place for shame. God gave us the emotion of shame to understand that there are shameful things. But, it, but to get rid of shame doesn't come through shaming as we'll see from the gospel in just a minute. And again, we're shifting from a guilt-based culture to a shame-based culture. So, younger person, if you're talking to an older person about something, they will often bring up, well, to solve that, do this, this, and this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, because they're coming out of a, a guilt-based culture that says perform, do something, okay? But before you get, like, just write them off and say, oh, they don't know, they don't get it. They don't get it. Older people have lived through more shame than you have because we all live through guilt and shame. And if you slow down, here's my advice in the whole process, just, just to get, start to preach here for a second, all right? If you just slow down and listen and don't be like, we've got to change the whole world and we've got to change it right now. You just slow down and listen to an older person. Spend some time talking to them. Get to know their story. You will find deep resources for dealing with both shame and guilt if you're talking to a godly person who loves Jesus and loves you. So slow down. And to the older person who's like, oh, I can't figure out young people. Well, learn a little about how shame works. I realize you didn't grow up with that being the dominant way of operating in the world, but that is the dominant way young people in our world are dealing, are, are, are facing. That's the, the, the major voices they're dealing with are dealing with shame. They're telling them they're not adequate, they're not good enough. My observation, again, I'm bringing in my experience here a little bit. My observation is, when you talk to older people about the things they did, they did a lot more wrong things. <laughs> Talk to, you talk to, I love talking to my, my community small group. I'm going to pick on Tom Neighborhouse for a second. Man, he did, he did some crazy things, some illegal things, okay? And got away, with, got away with a lot of them, okay? That most young people in, in today's world would not even dream of trying, okay? Because they know the shame that would be attached to it. 
Most young people today haven't done a lot of bad things. But for whatever reason, I think it goes back to the shame culture that we're in, they think they're inadequate. <laughs> they think they're failures. They think they're losers. Even though they haven't done half of the bad things <laughs> that some of the older generation has done. And it's because we're dealing with different things. So if you're an older person, understand that about younger people. Spend some time listening to them, talking to them, encouraging them. They need it. Because again, guilt and shame are both community destroyers. But there's also another community destroyer, and that's just expectations. Expectations. We have expectations from our family. If we had a bad family, we're looking for the church to be a good community. If we're looking, if we had, we had a good family, we're looking for the church to be just like our family at home. Neither of which is true. The, the church is a different kind of community than the family, even though it uses family language to talk about the, the, the church. It's not solely a family, and so it looks different at times. We also have expectations from Scripture. We know that the Bible says, love one another. And so I'm looking around at the church saying, who's loving me? (laughs) Who's loving me? Because the church is supposed to love one another, and I'm one of those people, so who's loving me? Remember, forgetting sometimes temporarily that I am supposed to love other people. (laughs) And so sometimes our expectations about how this works are different. We have also expectations about privacy versus being out there. We have introverts and extroverts and different expectations about community in regards to those kinds of personality differences and those kinds of setups. We have cultural distinctions as well, cultural practices in regard to what's the difference between the individual and the community. You have different Different cultures out there value community way more. And overall, American Western culture values the individual way more than the community. Just to illustrate this from Galatians chapter 1. It says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then three verses later it says, For each will have to bear his own load. So which is it? Do I bear one another's burdens or do I bear my own burdens? And the answer is yes. How does that work? Well, you have to think through the, the differences between what it means to be an individual and what it means to be in community. And it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dance. It, it's not one or the other. It's both at times. You can see the problem with being in community when you're not quite sure, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to bear my own load and not tell anyone? Or am I supposed to hear, listen to other people's and, and bear their loads? And what if I've got a load that feels too strong for me to bear? When do I talk? When do I shut up? Compound this with the fact that in our culture today, right, over, around the world, we now live in a digital age. And friendships and community are, are now twisted by our digital reality. We sometimes think, well, I I texted you, (laughs) I called, I emailed, forgetting that sometimes that technology might not have worked, or it's a whole lot different to be digitally present than it is to be physically present. With these challenges to community, you might wonder, how can we ever have a good community? And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that, is that we're not supposed to have a perfect community. That's not the point. The point is, is that we have a, a, a community that's focused to a specific purpose. And we acknowledge the problems that we have. And that's what we see in Hebrews chapter 10. So I want to look at that together and look at if point number two. We're getting into really the scripture here. The core of biblical community. The core of biblical community. Notice Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 19, again, it's up on the screen here for those of you who don't have Bibles, except my clicker is not quite working. There we go. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So again, here's a key aspect to how the Bible answers the challenges that we're under with community. And it starts with understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us, right? He has, he has taken 
it says here, our guilt and our shame. Notice what it says. We enter by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, that is his death on the cross. He opened the way for us to have access to God. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now I just want to stop right here. He's saying, let's draw near, okay? Let's draw together to God. So this, the focus of our community is not ourselves. The center of our community is not ourselves. The center is God and what he's done for us. It's a key difference. I'm not coming and getting closer and closer to Doug and being like, okay, we're in community together. It's the center between the two of us. No, we're getting closer and closer to God, and as we draw closer and closer to God, we draw closer and closer to each other. Now, what gives us the ability to do both of those things is because, he says here, our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. He's talking about guilt. He's saying, you're, you've, been, you've been clean. You've been forgiven. You've been atoned for. You don't have to come on the basis of your own performance. You come on the basis of Christ's performance on your behalf. He lived the perfect life. He did what God told him to do. He did that, and then he went to the cross on your behalf to take away your lack of performance. But not only does he take away our guilt, he also says our bodies are washed with pure water. It's talking about shame. It's an image of shame. It's saying, now you're, you're presentable. You can go out in public. You can be welcomed. You can be honored. Why? Because you're washed. You're clean. That's what we all do, hopefully, right? Not all of my kids took a shower last night, but, but we were evaluating who needs to be washed so they can be presentable in public. Here's the beauty of those, for, as you deal with shame, God deals with shame. He loves us so much. He welcomes us into his family. He's not sitting there thinking, oh man, I've got to accept this person. Man, uh, there's a formula here. They checked the boxes off and I guess, whew, I guess they made it in. I really didn't want them to. <laughs> no, he's like, I called you. You're mine. He's, he's sitting there with open arms saying, I'm waiting for you to come home. I want you to come home. You're mine. I love you. He delights in us. You, you know, this is the conundrum of Christian community. Is we draw closer to God and each other, and when we do that, what happens? All of our warts, all of our foibles, all of our failures get, get brought more to the service because the closer you are to someone, right? The more you notice the problems. I just finished our last premarital counseling with Ava and Ben, and we told them at the end, you didn't really get half of what we were telling you <laughs> because you haven't lived together yet. As soon as you get that close, you will know what we're talking about, right? Because as soon as you're that close, you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. And in the church, that's what's supposed to happen, is you're supposed to get close enough to each other, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah. I feel like I need to hide here because that's part of my personality that I don't really like. But it's got to come out in this situation. It's triggered. I just said that thing just because I felt like it. Now they know how I really think or whatever, right? And it's the conundrum here. You get close enough. You see other people's failures, and they see your failures, and you're like, well, we all need to hide. Just hide, you know. Why? Because we're ashamed of something about ourselves. It could be our looks. It could be our personality. It could be our station in life. It could be our past. It could be our family. Any number of things change. Shame is a shape-shifting demon, Okay? but you are washed with pure water. And the goal is not for you to present this perfect picture. The goal for you is to show that you're redeemed, <laughs> that you are called as God's children. You know what? The closer we get, the more we have to see by faith. 
that the people around us are highly honored by God, that the majority of their existence is, will not be where we see their failures, but we see their glory. That when we get to heaven, God is not so faithless nor so foolish that he will not know how to, in a sense, give every one of his children a crown. To say, look what you have accomplished. And not a performance trophy like, hey, you showed up. But look, you did something significant. You did something meaningful. You did something honorable. And we have to look by faith at one another and say, look at how God is going to transform this person in their foibles, in their failures. And they are on the process to where I am going to see them one day and I'm going to be like, amazing, look what God did. That's all of us if we're believers in Christ. That's all of us. We are all going to stand in honor one day, praising our Savior who has made us honorable. So Christian community is a community of faith, believing, first of all, that we're forgiven of our guilt and that we're honored in spite of our shame. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling with either guilt or shame, I don't have time to go into everything about this and how to really feel cleansed and feel washed. So if you're struggling with that, again, I just encourage you, take that connection card that's in your bulletin. Just say, Pastor, I'd like to talk to you about dealing with guilt and shame and how to feel cleansed and how to feel washed. I would love to help you go through that process. Our counselor, Dave Knudsen, would love to help you with that. Why? Because we want you to know that you are washed that you are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. We're not talking about perfection here. We're talking about understanding God's work in your life. And this, what we're talking about here, this is the basis. This is what it means for biblical community to work. This is at the core of biblical community. It conquers guilt. It conquers shame and says, this is who you are in Christ. And that's why it goes on to say, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up, sorry, stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this thing is not working very well today. Can you get it on? There we go. <laughs> There's just certain things to community here. So let's go back and see it one more time. First of all, there's a common confession. There's a common confession, okay? We, we're confessing the same thing. None of us are perfect. None of us are whole. We're broken. We're incomplete. We're sinners but we've received grace. We've received forgiveness. And this is what we all confess. This is what draws us near together. This is what allows us then to be present together. That's the second part of the core of Bill community, to be present. To be present. Now what does it mean to be present? Well, it's interesting because there's a, there's, a, there's a, in the Greek, there's a biblical preposition that's, that has to do the idea of presence, the idea of face-to-face presence. It's used 686 times in the New Testament, and it's talking about being present with one another. You know what? It's really hard to have community, even if you have a common confession, if you're not present together, Right? COVID has taught us that overall, right? Digital presence does something, but there's something about face-to-face presence that is tremendously powerful. Just ask any engaged couple looking at each other 
face to face, eye to eye, the joy of being together. The problem, again, is you can't do community without messiness, but you also can't do it without presence. They go together, okay? And if that's true, again, we're just back to this basic idea of, I just, can I just be present? Now, we have to work with this with our kids. Realize, in the digital age, you can be physically present and not present, right? You're on your phone, you're doing something else, you know, to be present is to, to, to notice the other person, to be engaged together. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, don't, don't neglect. This, the, this, some people start neglecting this, this part of presence, of being together, of meeting together. He's saying, you can't have community without that presence together. You can't do it. Now, you can, I realize with COVID, we've, we've adapted a little bit. We've done various things. But, but it comes down to presence. Are you present? Are you engaged? Are you there? Without that, that community and doing this together, it, in present together, then it doesn't work, you know? As a dad, sometimes I, I struggle with this, right? My wife's like, you're here, but you're not present. You don't know what's going on. You're absorbed in your book or you're absorbed in your phone and it's not working. <laughs> you're not present. Why? Because if you don't have presence, you don't have purpose. You don't have purpose. And that's the last thing that's noticed here in this core of biblical community is that we have purpose. He says, show up, meet together. Why? To, to, to consider, consider before you show up how to stir up love and good works amongst each other. So you, you have purpose. You're, you're not just showing up and be like, okay, I'm going to show up. The pastor's going to talk to me. I'm going to enjoy some songs. I'm going to go home. I was at church. That is not really being at church. That might be, that might be being at church, but you're not present at church with purpose the way you need to be. He's saying there specifically, you should go to be part of this community and go thinking, who do I need to love? Who do I need to stir up to love and good works? And again, we're not talking about this, uh, well, how'd you do this week? Because if you didn't love someone, you know, I'm to trouble. No, it's to stir up love and good works in an ongoing way is to think, how can I love someone else so they can pay it forward and be like, man, I'm loved. I'm going to love someone else. Man, I'm not ashamed. I'm honored. So you're, how do I stir that up? The word in the Greek is the word to pursue, to persecute almost. Again, the word that, that comes, the, the illustration that comes to mind, I've used it a couple of times throughout, throughout the years here, is the idea of, of two hound dogs going after a coon. They don't give up. They don't quit. They're like pursuing this. Like, oh, community, Oops, it got off here, it's off on its own little trail, we're going to follow that trail, get we're going to get to it eventually. You know, it's that idea of pursuing it. I'm going to stir it up. I'm going to, I'm going to in a sense, kind of, so, you know, in a family, right, everybody has different personalities, different functions, right? My brother, Dan, was always the stir-upper, Right? I think it's a second child syndrome issue, but I, I could be wrong because I'm the firstborn. And firstborns are perfect. Um, uh, but second children, they always stir things up. They're always trying to make something happen. You're like, everything is fine. Everything is perfect, and you're messing everything up, okay? Well, that's the, that's the idea here. It's not so much, hey, make everything perfect for community. It's stirred up. Let's engage. Let's talk. Let's, let's interact. Let's, let's force something to happen here. Not by not being passive, but by just engaging. How are you? What's going on? How can I pray for you? Man, I just noticed this about you. This was awesome. When you were over here doing this, I, I noticed that, and that was awesome. That was great. You know, we stir one another up to love and good works. We have purpose in our engagement. It's not legalism, like, oh, if you, don't, if you don't measure up, you fail. Nor is it license. Just, you don't have to, it doesn't matter what you do. It's this purpose of, hey, isn't it awesome to love God? And yay, isn't it hard to love those who are hard to love? 
So let's encourage one another. Let's lift one another up. Let's stir things up and see what happens. Because this is what we believe. If we're Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And when we stir things up, the Holy Spirit comes out, hopefully. Not all the time, unfortunately. But what are you stirring? What are you provoking? Are you showing up with purpose? This is the core to have a common confession. We're driving toward a love of God and a love of others because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have a common, we have a common presence. We're together at least some of the time. And we have a common purpose to stir up love and good works so that Jesus Christ is known. Because you know what? It says the day is drawing near. Jesus is going to return. And you know what? That's going to be a great day because we're going to see what great things God has done in each other. You know what? So that, that means I'm going to stir things up. What can happen? What can God do? Because I want to see what God's going to do at the end. <laughs> and if it's apparent or not, that day is drawing near, right? It's nearer than yesterday. It's nearer than 10 years ago. The day is drawing near. Jesus is going to return. And those who haven't trusted in him will be judged. And those who have will be honored. So let's stir things up. Can I just use an illustration here of, of kind of how this works personally? Okay, so I've got some baseball gloves here. Um, here's, here's the one I bought last summer during COVID. Because <laughs> you got to do something outside during COVID, right? So it's, it's pretty much brand new. We didn't use it too much. It's mostly me and Kaisa throwing the ball to each other. It's, it's pretty stiff still, but it looks, it looks cool, all right? It's black. It's shiny. It's, uh, but it's a little stiff. It's a little stiff. Then I went, and yesterday I asked, Dad, can I have a glove from your collection? Not that we played baseball a ton, but we didn't play it. This is, this is one of the gloves my dad has, you know? It's uh, the one I remember most from being as a kid, it's uh, it doesn't look so good anymore. It's a little worn. It's uh, a little dirty on the inside, if you can't tell. Um, but here's the thing with this glove. It fits your hand like a glove. And it's extremely flexible. When that ball comes in and pops into that glove, it just absorbs the impact and folds over it. This, this one here tends to bounce out on you because it's still too stiff. It's not worn enough. The point is not to be like this all of your Christian life. It's not to be brand new, shiny, everything's perfect. The point over time is to become like this. You're just more flexible. You absorb the, the difficulties and the hits of life. You just flex with it. You stay loose and emotionally you're not tight. You're not like, oh, this was new. This was totally unexpected. This is no good. Or when, when shame hits you, you don't, you don't just uh, tighten up. You flex and go back to the gospel. You flex and say, this is what God is doing in my life, reminding me of my inaccuracies to remember that God is in the, in the process of making me honored. He's in the process of, of showing me his adequacy, how he takes care of me. That's the goal in the Christian life. Because, man, this thing, I can put it on. Man, it's there. I don't have to do anything. It just fits. And that's what the gospel is supposed to do for you. It's supposed to teach you how to live in this life. Just living, flexing in God's grace. Flexing in his mercy. Flexing in what the gospel has done for you. But sometimes, unfortunately, there's another glove I picked out. This is another glove we had for a long time. It's also old, but it's stiff. It looks like it's flexible, but actually it's stiff. It doesn't bend at all. It bent right here, and that was it. It probably sat in our garage for 10 years, just something on top of it. 
And there's nothing to it, right? We can, unfortunately, become over time like this glove, not flexible, not absorbing the hits of life and enjoying God's grace, but sitting there going, ah, oh, I, can't, I can't change, I can't flex. I've got to fight all the difficulties, all the problems in my life. I've got to prove that I'm something. I've got to prove that I'm worthy. I've got to prove that I'm good. And over time, you get a crease, but you don't bend. And you're no good. We never use that glove. Isn't it obvious? You see, the biblical community is not where we show off how good we are. Biblical community is where we show off how good God is. And so the practice of biblical community, in that sense, just really briefly here, is that we would just show off the goodness and grace of God to each other in the midst of our common failures, foibles, and challenges. The metaphor the Bible uses is a body metaphor. It's a body metaphor. That we, just as your body works together, but does different things, so the church works together, but does different things. And again, a shame culture is going to say, hey, we've got to look the same, we've got to act the same, we've got to do the same, okay? A body metaphor says, hey, there's a lot of different things happening. So like in COVID, right? You see some Christians wearing masks, you see some Christians not wearing masks. That's awesome. That's great. Why? Because we're in diverse situations loving the people in those situations. We're acting out of love, hopefully, for the people in our lives. That's a beautiful thing. But again, a shame culture is going to say, nope, that's not good enough. We all got to be the same. The body is diverse. The hand can't do what the foot does. The head can't do what the, the head can't do what the hand does. It's diverse. But we're unified around a common confession. The Bible puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What's he talking about? How do we build up the body? until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. There's a common goal, Christ, becoming like Christ, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But then notice the diversity, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, it'll go on, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is properly working, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The point, again, is the body does different things. And as you let the body do what the body does, the body grows. So again, we're back to that stirring one another up in love. You see someone doing something differently than you would do it? Say, man, as long as you're doing it out of love, that's awesome, that's great. I want to I encourage you, keep at it, do what you're doing. You're trying to love someone, that's awesome, that's hard. <laughs> it's hard to sacrifice, it's hard to love. But God loved us, so we get to love others, isn't that great? Here's another passage that talks about biblical community. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We're back to this honor and shame thing again. You're like, you, you, sometimes again, we think, like, no, if you, if you praise someone, if you honor them too much, they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do the wrong thing. Okay, no, if you, you just, if you ignore evil... They'll keep doing the wrong thing. Don't ignore evil. But if you see good, honor it. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine if we went around to each other and be like, man, I saw that. That was awesome. That was great. I love the way you sacrificed there. And I love the way you were so caring in this situation. Man, uh, I, was, I, was, I can't teach like you can teach, but I can do this. Or you can, you can do something way more than me. 
as far as showing hospitality and showing care and concern. Isn't it great that you're doing this? It goes on to say, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. He's saying this is what preserves biblical community when we keep at it together, attribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality, right? Stir one another up to love and good works by loving others. This is where it gets ironic. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who weep. And rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but good. Give good thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He's saying, this is how community works. Now, what's, what's, again, just going back to this basic question, while the church, this church struggles to do this well, people do wrong things and people are at odds with one another in the church. Okay, that's actually normal because, again, we're doing different things. If you, if you never had anyone at odds, you would, never, you would always be doing the same thing. You notice he didn't say, now with unbelievers, when they persecute you, then bless them. But if believers persecute you, then you have the right to hate them, you know. No. Again, this is, this is the amazing thing about the gospel, right? Is that we, are, uh, uh, we, we love one another even when we're hurt, even when there's sin. Now, we don't, we don't ignore sin, but we, we pursue one another. We love one another. We don't return evil for evil. And the church is the place where that has to start. <laughs> Imagine if the church was perfect for just a second. Imagine if we always treat each other well and the world always treated each other poorly. Would, would, the church, would the world come into the church? Maybe some might. But you know what? A lot of them wouldn't. Why? Because they know they don't measure up. I know I can't treat everybody per- perfectly all the time. Just ask my secretary, right? She can still, you know, I like come into, I'm a little bit tense or upset. Why? Just because that's life but we pour grace on one another. We love one another. Here's the beauty of biblical community. The point is not, oh, the church is failing because the church is at odds with one another. No. The church is failing when, it's, when, when it is at odds with one another. It fails to pursue honoring one another and forgiving one another. That's when the church fails. So, where are you at in biblical community? Do you have that common confession? That common confession that Jesus Christ is the reason we're together. Jesus Christ is the reason we are forgiven and we are honored. Do you have that common presence? Are you spending some time with other believers? Are you with them, face-to-face, engaged with them, with purpose, seeking to stir up love and good works? Like, man, it's awesome to be with you. How's it going? How are you finding it? Who, who's hard for you to love this week? How can I pray for you? What, what mercy can I show to you? How can I be an encouragement to you? And as we do that, it says the body builds itself up in love and reflects Jesus to the world. So, maybe a last question to ask after all of this is just simply, where are you at? Are you a little stiff? Are you flexing under the mercy and grace of God? Is your story more about his mercy and grace in your life or more about how you're fighting to show off how good you are? You're fighting to show off that everything's okay. 
you're fighting to show off that, hey, I can handle it. Or you're saying, man, I couldn't handle it, but God's grace did. I, I, I wasn't sure what to do, but God's mercy stepped in. I, 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 I didn't have it all together, but man, it was great to have some believers around me who could pray for me, encourage me, and stand with me. Which is it? Because we are called to live in community. And yes, it's messy, but it shows off the mercy and grace of God. And that is what we delight to do as Christians. Is it not? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the community you've put us in. It's not a perfect community. And we're grateful for that because it allows us to show off not our perfection, but your grace, your mercy, your wonder, your love. I look around and I see people who've given years of their lives They've sacrificed and loved others so faithfully and well. This is an awesome and a great church. It loves you. It loves others. And it shows that in the way it flexes, in the way it works. And we're not perfect, Lord, but I thank you for this church. I thank you for the the faithful people we have or even now flexing under your, the tensions you're putting them in and showing off your mercy and grace to those around them. Help them to do that. May the oil of your spirit give them the strength to flex, to be there in the midst of life, to be present with those around them, to love and to stir up love and good works. Lord, I thank you for this church. May it be a light to your mercy and grace by the love and the community we have. In your son's name we pray.